Welcome to the Christchurch London podcast. We have recently moved our Sunday services and midweek connect groups online to help stop the spread of coronavirus. Join us for Church at Home this Sunday by logging on to christchurchlondon.online.church at 10am, 11am, 5pm, 7pm or 8pm for worship, prayer and our weekly sermon. We're now going to hear the talk from this week's Church at Home service. Today's reading is from Hebrews 11, verses 1 to 2 and 5 to 6. Now faith is confidence in what we hope for and assurance about what we do not see. This is what the ancients were commended for. By faith, Enoch was taken from this life so that he did not experience death. He could not be found because God had taken him away. For before he was taken, he was commended as one who pleased God. And without faith, it is impossible to please God, because anyone who comes to him must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who earnestly seek him. Today we're starting a brand new series on the subject of living by faith. And we're going to base this series in Hebrews chapter 11, which is a chapter just full of stories of men and women who trusted God and put their faith in him. And that faith, and of course God himself, sustained them through difficult times. As we look at these stories, we'll see that they're not all kind of glossy and triumphant, because living a life of faith doesn't mean that you get to live free from trials or free from uncertainties. Actually, as the great missionary Elizabeth Elliot put it, if it were not for uncertainties, we would have no need to walk by faith. Faith is about trusting God, whatever comes our way. And whatever challenges or uncertainties you may be facing, I hope that this series and the stories that we'll read about will encourage us all as individuals and as a community to trust God and to live by faith. But what is faith? Well, the author Mark Twain puts it like this. Faith is believing something you know ain't true. (laughs) Now, clearly, that's not what the Bible means by faith, and that's not what I'm encouraging you to do in terms of living by faith. But I think it's an interesting definition, because I think actually that's the kind of thing that comes to mind for many of us as we think about the subject of faith. See, many of us think that faith is just sort of ignoring evidence and taking a, a blind leap, maybe closing our eyes or closing our minds to reality and just trusting in spite of evidence. But that's not what the Bible means when it tells us to live by faith. Actually, Hebrews 11.1 says this, Faith is confidence in what we hope for and assurance about what we do not see. Faith is a way of living with confidence in a kind of interim state, as it were, where you are waiting for promises to be fulfilled and you can't yet see them, but you live trusting that they are coming. That's faith. And biblical faith is not about ignoring evidence. Actually, it's about having confidence based on a very particular type of evidence, namely evidence about the one who has made the promises for which you are waiting. Let me give you an illustration. Supposing for a moment I were to make a promise to everyone watching church at home today. Suppose I promise to give each of you £1,000. But since we're not in the same space right now, I can't literally just give it to you. So I'm going to fulfil that promise in, well, whenever I get an opportunity to, at some point in the future. Now, with that promise in mind, you would have a choice about how you respond. 
you may respond with doubt, you may just think, well, there's no way he's going to deliver on that. And so you just resign yourself to the fact that all that promise is never going to be fulfilled. Or you could live with faith, you could live with hope, you could live with expectancy. Next time I see Liam, he could can be a thousand pounds. And the thing that would determine whether you live with kind of doubt or faith, as it were, would be the evidence that you have about me, the one who has made that promise. And in particular, evidence about three things, my ability, my integrity and my history. Namely, if you know I have the ability to deliver on that promise, I'm absolutely loaded, and you know that I have integrity, I don't make promises I don't keep, I'm a man of character, a man of my word, and I have a history. Maybe you could get in touch with 12 friends, all of whom I've made similar promises to, and I've delivered on all of them. If you look at the evidence of my ability, integrity, and history, that might fill you with confidence enough to say, on the basis of that, I trust that that promise will be fulfilled for me. Now, for the avoidance of doubt, this is an illustration. I'm not planning to give any of you a penny, <laughs> but I think in some kind of way, this shows what faith looks like in the life of a follower of Jesus. You see, when we reflect on the evidence of God's ability, his integrity and his history related to fulfilling promises, that fills us with confidence enough to trust that he will deliver for us. When we think about his ability, the fact that he has unlimited resources. We think of his integrity. What we know about the character of God is that he doesn't make promises he's unwilling to keep. He cannot lie. And we think about his history, our personal history of experiencing his goodness, but also the, the many stories of men and women in scripture and in our lives and in the world around us and in history who have all experienced the fulfillment of the promises of God. When we look at those things, they are like evidence that help us to trust in the promises because we trust in the promise giver. I think that is faith. Biblical faith is not like a, a blind leap on the basis of evidence to the contrary. Rather, biblical faith is trusting in the eternally good and truthful, trustworthy God who has never made a promise he's been unable or unwilling to keep. And when we examine things about him and we look at the stories of people who have put their faith in him and experienced his faithfulness, that provokes us to trust him in our own lives. And Hebrews tells us a whole load of stories about men and women who put their faith in God and were rewarded for it. And one of those stories is the story of Enoch. Now, Enoch is a strange story and actually it's quite a short story because scripture doesn't really tell us very much about him at all. He's mentioned in passing in Luke and in Jude and in a very short passage in Genesis chapter 5. And in Genesis 5, you've got this list of the generations from Adam and Eve onwards. And with each of them, it's this repeated pattern. So-and-so lived X number of years, had these kids and then died. His son lived X number of years, had these kids and then died. And it just goes on and on and on. And then you get to Enoch and it follows the same sort of pattern. Enoch lived X number of years, he had these kids. And then it says this, Enoch walked faithfully with God, then he was no more because God took him away. And then Genesis 5 just moves on and picks up with Enoch's son, Methuselah. And, and if you're anything like me, you're like, oh, hang on, don't rush on to that. Let's hit pause there. I've got questions. Like, what happened to Enoch? Where did he go? How did God take him? Where is he now? Uh, can I experience the same thing? I, I have a load of questions. And the Bible just doesn't go there. 
Other writers outside of the biblical text, they speculate about these things, but the Bible doesn't go there. It simply tells us that God took him because he was pleased with him, because he walked with God. The Bible wants me to know about the character of his life, not what happened at the end of his life, not where my questions go. The Bible thinks the most important thing about Enoch is the way he lived in communion with God. And that phrase, walked with God, is interpreted in Hebrews as pleasing God. It seems that the two ideas are linked because to walk with God implies intimacy and a quality of relationship that is beautiful and and trusting. Only a few chapters earlier, in Genesis chapter 3, verse 8, there's this phrase about God walking in the Garden of Eden in the cool of the day. And in the poetry of Genesis, Eden is this beautiful, idyllic garden that God has regularly said he is pleased with. It is good. And so God is walking in the place of his pleasure. Actually, Eden is the very name. It means garden of delights. And God placed the first humans, Adam and Eve, there. And we're told that he's walking in the cool of the day. And it seems that his habit was to walk with his his, his creatures, Adam and Eve, the first humans, to walk with them in the cool. Actually, that word cool, it's the Hebrew word ruach, which means breath or wind. So he's, he's walking in the breeze of the evening. It's idyllic. The heat of the day has gone and he is walking, wanting to spend time with the humans. I think this is a beautiful picture. We were made for relationship with God. Many of the ancient texts about creation talked about God or the gods creating human beings as slaves or as subjects. But according to the Bible, we were made to be God's friends. He wanted to walk with us, to have relationship with us. But the tragedy of Genesis 3 is that as God comes to walk with Adam and Eve in the cool of the day, instead of embracing that relationship, they hide from him. They hide from the one who has created them for life and for relationship. And it's actually that rejection of God, that hiding from God, that unleashes chaos into God's beautiful, good world. And that repeated refrain in Genesis 5, this person lived and their story ends in death. They lived and their story ends in death. This repeated cycle, I think that is a picture of the human condition when we hide from God. You and I were created to walk with him, to enjoy relationship with him and to enjoy the life that can only come from relationship with him. And when we cut ourselves off from that, it unleashes death, chaos, disorder in this world. But the good news at the heart of the Christian faith is that although we human beings tend to hide from God as Adam and Eve did, he never hides from us. In fact, he so loved us that he stepped into this world. Jesus came into our experience to hunt us down, to pursue us, to bring us back into a walking relationship with our creator. And through his death and resurrection, he has restored our relationship and made it possible for us to walk with God again now and into eternity. Our story will be unlike Enoch. I'm not expecting my story to end like his It's an odd, unusual story. But in a strange kind of way, this idea of him crossing over into walking for eternity with God, it is a picture of the hope that you and I have. Because Jesus has risen again from the dead, death has been defeated. 
And you and I can know that if we put our trust in him, his death and resurrection on our behalf, he will come and dwell within us by his Holy Spirit and give us the promise of walking with God into eternity. Now, if you are not a follower of Jesus, I'm sure that raises enormous questions for you. And if you have big questions, we would love to invite you to explore them with us. We're running a course called Alpha, which is a brilliant place to explore various questions about the Christian faith. Our current course is on Tuesday evenings. We're actually on week two, but it's a brilliant week to join us if you would like. We're looking at the person of Jesus and and certain claims about his life, his character and his message. And so if you would like to join us, do come along. We'd love to have you on Tuesday. Or if you'd like to check out the course, but now is not right for you, go to christchurchlondon.org forward slash alpha. Give us your details and we'll hook you up with the course as soon as possible. Jesus has made it possible for us to walk with God again. But the most amazing thing is that we don't have to wait till eternity to experience that. We can walk with him now. The whole of the Christian life is about walking with God. And I just want to tease out three elements of this kind of this picture, this metaphor of walking with God, which I think may help us as we seek to live by faith as Enoch did. And I want to look at three aspects of walking. That walking is relational, walking is regular and walking is responsive. So first of all, it's relational. Walking with God, living with God, the spiritual life is not just about doing a set of practices or keeping a set of rules. It's actually fundamentally about cultivating a relationship. I met with a friend the other week, a guy I haven't seen for the best part of a year, and I went to hang out with him. We had a socially distanced walk in Wimbledon Common, which is absolutely beautiful. It's, it's like the Eden of South London. And uh, we were walking and it was just a beautiful time of investing in our relationship. Now, I actually go to walk at Wimbledon Common maybe three, four times a week, often by myself early in the morning where there just aren't many people around. And usually this is my time. And I put my headphones on, I listen to what I want to listen to, and I go whichever way I want to. I take whatever route I fancy in the moment. But when I met up with my friend, because the purpose of the walk was not for me just to have a time by myself, but the purpose of the walk was relationship, I had to approach that walk differently to how I do when I'm by myself. See, if I just greeted him quickly and then walked off in my own direction, or I put my headphones on so I could ignore him and just listen to whatever I wanted to, or whenever we got to a place where the paths diverged, I just let him go one way and I went the other, that would have fundamentally undermined the purpose of the walk because it wouldn't have led to deeper relationship. I would have burnt off some calories, but not a lot else. I would have burnt some bridges in our relationship, I suspect, because the point of the walk was that we would get to talk together, laugh together, hear what was on each other's hearts. The same is true of the life of faith. If we approach walking with God in such a way that we kind of just greet him first thing in the morning and then go off in our own direction, we put in other voices that allow uh, that we allow to shape our thinking throughout the day and we blot out his voice or whenever we feel like he might be going a particular way we just think i'd rather go my own way we actually undermine the the beautiful relationship for which we were created you see walking with god is not just about doing particular things the spiritual practices of worship and prayer and reading scripture and listening to god are only helpful if we don't treat them like things to tick off a list, but rather we treat them as ways to deepen our relationship with God. Walking with God is fundamentally relational. And the reason that it takes faith to walk with God like this is that I don't see God next to me in the way that I did with my friend. 
and I don't see him next to me in the way that I one day will in the new creation. But by reading his word, reminding myself of his character, worshipping him and experiencing his presence, I get filled with confidence that enables me to walk by faith now in this interim period before I see his promises finally fulfilled. Can I encourage you to cultivate a relationship with God as you walk with him? The second aspect, though, of walking with God is that it is regular. It's not just something you do in a tiny, compartmentalised part of your life. Walking with God is meant to happen all throughout your day. I have a step counter on my phone which keeps track of the number of steps I take throughout the day. And when I look at it, I look at the chart of my day or my week, I see there are obvious points of sort of intense walking, as it were. The step count is higher. And of course, there are periods where I'm more sedentary. And that's right. That's normal. But what I don't see is that I take all of my steps in one 20 minute block and then don't walk anywhere for the rest of the 24 hours. That's simply not how walking works. Of course, there are focus times where I am intentionally walking somewhere, but there are also plenty of steps I just rack up when I'm going between things. I'm walking on the way to the next task or just to pick something up or to get a drink or whatever it happens to be. If you could map your spiritual life in that sort of way, I wonder what you would see. I wonder what I would see. Of course, there should be focused moments where our step count is higher, as it were, where, like Jesus said, we are locking ourselves away for time focused with God. But also, I think that if we're walking with God in terms of having a spiritual life, there should be moments just in between tasks where we're just throwing up a quick prayer or we're giving thanks for something good that we've just recognised as a blessing or we're preparing for the next task or a challenging conversation and we just take a moment to offer it to God, asking him to empower us. Moments where we're walking somewhere and we just allow our minds to reflect on his character, on his goodness. Walking with God doesn't mean that we just treat him as, as being able to have a five minute part of our day at an allotted time and then we ignore him for the rest of the time. It's about cultivating a relationship with him that is regular, that is ongoing, that involves focus times, but also he's just involved everywhere we walk. Can I encourage you to try and cultivate that kind of life, the life that pleases God as we walk with him? Walking with God is relational, it's regular, but thirdly and finally, it's also responsive. You know, if you're walking with someone and, and they decide to go off in a different direction to where you thought you were heading, you then have a choice. Do I keep going the way I wanted to go or do I respond? Do I follow them? And actually, if you want the walk to continue in a way that deepens your relationship, the best thing to do is to respond and to follow where they are heading. I think that's true of our walk with God. There are moments where it feels like the Holy Spirit is nudging us, leading us to go one particular way. And maybe it's not the way we thought we were going to go. But actually walking with God means that we respond to his leading. I love the fact that in Genesis 3, 8, where it talks about God walking in the cool of the day, that Hebrew word ruach, which means breath or, or breeze or wind or cool, it also means spirit. We were created to walk with God by the spirit. Paul talks in Galatians 5 about keeping in step with the Spirit. I think this is part of what it means. It means making choices that are led by God to follow him. And sometimes we just get those little nudges, not to do anything big and scary like Noah or Moses or Abraham, but just to follow him in the simple decisions in our lives. Some of you may have heard this story before, but I think it's a helpful illustration. 
a while back I was walking somewhere and it's somewhere I'm quite familiar with. I just have my little route that I always go. I always cross at a particular place and take a certain cut through. I just know that's the quickest, easiest route. And on this one day I had my headphones on and I was going my sort of habitual route and I was about to cross over the road. And for some reason, I just had this weird sense that I shouldn't, that I should take off my headphones and stay on this side of the road. Of course, I didn't really want to do that because I was enjoying my music and I knew that if I stayed on this side of the road, that would add 30 seconds onto my journey and time is precious for us Londoners. Uh, but I, I just couldn't shake the idea that maybe this was a nudge from God. And there wasn't an audible voice or anything concrete or obvious, but I guess I know enough from having walked with God for years to recognise that I think that could be him and it's worth following. So I decided to take my headphones off and stay on that side of the road. And about two minutes later, I saw an old lady that I was about to pass by and she beckoned me over. And I went over to talk to her and she explained that she was lost and she wasn't from London. She'd come to visit a friend and a friend had given her directions, but the tube was down and she had no way of contacting her friend and didn't know how to reach her. But she had a phone number for her. And so I called her friend, worked out where they were meant to meet, worked out a bus route for her, walked her to the bus stop and made sure that she got on the right bus to go and meet her friend. And as we were waiting for the bus, this lady said to me, I'm so grateful that you stopped to help me out. Um, actually, I'm going to meet my friend for a prayer meeting and we'll make sure that we pray for you today. And I, I found that really touching. And I said to her, oh, thank you. I really appreciate that. As it happens, I'm a follower of Jesus. And she looked at me as if I was a complete idiot. And she said, well, yes, of course you are. <laughs> Uh, which kind of surprised me. I didn't realise that my holiness was that obvious. Um, I'm assured it isn't. Uh, but I said to her, well, what, what do you mean? Of course, I'm a follower of Jesus. And she said, well, two minutes before you came along, I prayed, Holy Spirit, I'm lost and I am scared. Would you send someone to help me? And he sent you. And as I reflect on that moment, I just think it's such a beautiful picture of what it means to walk with God by faith. This lady just took a moment to express her need to her creator and the Holy Spirit cared enough about her to send me. And actually the Holy Spirit cared enough about me to give me the privilege of being involved in bringing blessing to that lady's life. That's what it looks like to walk with God. I want more of that. I want more of that in my life. I want that in your life. I want that in our community. I want us to be a people who walk with God by faith and have opportunities to bring blessing to many, many people. It's such a privilege. It's such a joy. So I want to encourage us this week to make decisions to walk with him. And if you sense even the slightest nudge, the slightest hint that maybe the Holy Spirit is leading you in a particular direction, would you have the courage to trust him and follow him? It may be that a person pops into your head and you think, I should get in touch with them. Or maybe you have a particular scripture that you think, oh, I think it will be helpful to share that with that person. Or maybe you feel just a, a prompt or a nudge to offer prayer to that person and you're not quite sure how they're going to respond. It's worth stepping out. It's worth following the Holy Spirit. See what he does. And I believe that we as individuals and communities, as we do this, I think even this week, we will experience miracle stories where we get used by God to bring blessing to many around us. So would you make that your commitment this week to look out for the leading of the Holy Spirit and to respond to him? I'm going to pray for us. You may want specific prayer by yourself, in which case get in touch with the prayer team. We would love to pray for you personally this week, but I'm going to lead us in prayer right now before we worship. Come Holy Spirit. 
thank you for the privilege of being your friends. Thank you that you did not create us to be servants or subjects or slaves, but you created us to be your friends, to walk with you. And I want to ask that this week, each of us would have the experience of feeling your presence, knowing that you are with us as we walk through our days. Will we sense you with us by faith and will we follow you with confidence? Will we have moments where we feel you leading and we have the courage to respond? And as we do so, would you catch us up on a great adventure and give us the privilege of being used by you to bring blessing and hope and life to those around us? In Jesus' name. Amen. We hope you enjoyed this talk from the Christchurch London podcast. To hear other talks or find out more about our Sunday services, head to ChristchurchLondon.org.